Welcome to What's Your Voyage, a podcast where we have people on that are up to stuff and we chat about the voyage of their lives. Sponsored by the one and only The Adelaide Set. Thank you very much and enjoy. Award-winning artist, photographer and videographer. Mainly photographer. Mainly photographer. I've done a video for years. I saw it on the site though, but nonetheless. I come from the VHS era of... Woo! Adelaide artist, Alex Frain. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Thank you all. Very Hello, warm welcome here. So how's your day been? Been good. Yeah, I've been developing film today, so... When you say developing yeah. film, like you're in the in the dark room doing yeah. it yourself? Yeah, I've actually got a lab, and I do all my black and white photography myself, developing. So during the day, which is not the greatest time to shoot, yep. that's the great time to develop films. Okay. So chemistry, dark rooms. And how did up. you get into doing your own dark rooms? Um, you have a lot more control over the uh, results. So with shooting film, so as you know, I don't shoot digital, I only shoot analogue. Um, dealing with you know actual rolls of film. With colour and slide film, I have to have a lab do that because the, the One second. is hard. If I could just get you to be about a fist away yep. from the mic, feel there free to grab it and manoeuvre it however you want. If you want to sit back, it's pretty flexible. Yeah. yeah so with colour film, the lab has to do that because the, the, it's quite difficult to do that in a home lab. But black and white, you can do that at home. And you can get the chemistry and you can mix all the chemicals and you have a real, you have a sense of control over the result of the developing because, you know, you can extend the time of the development, you can shorten the time, you can change the dilutions of the chemicals and each change results in a change in the look of the film. Wow. wow. Physi- yeah, so what kind of difference would like only a short amount of time versus a long amount of time predictably make? Yeah, so shorter developing times lead to a sort of a higher contrast image, so really dark blacks and bright whites if you extend the development of black and white chemistry you get better tonality lower contrast softer gentler look so i you know depending on what i've just shot i'll make a decision as to how i'm going to develop it that night or that day but i'm developing it yeah you can also do things like um have different different chemicals different developers give different results so i use a codec developer um but there are hundreds of different uh developing developing chemicals yeah, cool. Yes, yes. And where did your love for photography begin? Um, year eight, my mum bought me an 8mm camera. So filmmaking back then with my school friends, holidays resulted in crazy short films, um, little three-minute movies. Um, went to uni, studied the BA at Flinders, met all my film fraternity. I'd always been interested in stills, and you know there was a process of osmosis of becoming a stills photographer. But it all really stemmed back to my early days of loving images and just really having a camera in my hand the whole time. So, you know, I don't think there's been a day in my life when I haven't been somehow involved in photography or films or stories or scripts or, you know, ensemble work. Really, you know, I've stayed in Adelaide because the fraternity here in the arts world is so strong and so compelling and so compelling that I I really don't... um, I haven't ever considered moving. Yeah, I mean, it's just a great community in the arts here, especially if you know having been through Flinders. So, very much a part of what's called the Flinders Mafia, which is you know the arts fraternity at all levels in Adelaide, traces its way back to Flinders Uni because in the seventies it set itself up as a very strong arts school in drama, filmmaking. I had no you know, idea. So obviously Scott Hicks, Murray Andreacchio, there's that tradition. Um, yep. Noni Hazelhurst. You know, there's a, a, a the drama centre was um, yeah. the place to be in the 70s. So yeah, it has a really a, a strong background of pr- 
producing people who work in the arts. Uh, you know, I was explaining to someone from Adelaide Uni, my dad, mm-hmm. and I was explaining why Flinders happened in that way in the 70s, and it was because, this was interesting, it was because the arts in Adelaide had always been considered, like I'm talking about in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the arts in Adelaide was something you did on a Friday night with your friends and you would set, a, set up a cinema club mm. or a drama yeah. club and you would watch movies and you'd watch French films or Russian films or Japanese mm. films or American films and you would be ensconced in world, world cinema or world art or culture. Flinders said, OK, well, enough of that. We actually need to start now producing people who are actual artists mm. yeah. rather than the arts in Adelaide being something that happens on the weekend yeah. or something that's kind of to impress your friends or a nighttime thing. Mm. Flinders set itself up as to become the backbone of what became, the, you know, the arts in Adelaide, and the arts is talked about all the time by politicians, mm. by business leaders, by cultural leaders. So from Flinders, you get people who actually make and do and create, and uh, some sometimes move into politics, sometimes move into ad- administration. I mean, Douglas Gautier, who's just. Wow. What do you think that backbone in art? Because obviously that is like a transition between turning Mm. art from a hobby to like a profession. A real thing. So like, how do you think that backing for people, like like the politician, has made a difference in just like how they go about life? Because it creates an industry. So it creates work. It creates careers. Mm -hmm. And that gives gives the whole thing structure and... uh, a kind of rigid structure actually because you you have things like Arts SA which is the government funding arm yep. which funds a lot of the arts in South Australia you know the South Australian Film Corporation the statutory bodies that were created in Parliament uh, you know but, but Dunstan really got going yep. the Film Corporation um, the Festival Centre the Festival Trust so for for people because you're saying that we have such a strong community in the art world yeah if somebody is just starting out right now and is listening yeah what was your first steps to actually becoming like a commercial okay. like artist? Okay, so the first, and this is advice that I would tell anyone who's perhaps at year 10, 11 and 12 or, or just after that point of wanting to move into the arts and the advi- advice that I would give and I've given for years is to do a Bachelor of Arts. So that's what I did. So a Bachelor of Arts meaning a, a three-year degree with the option of honours and you know, master's because a Bachelor of Arts is not going to point you in the direction of a specific art form, but it's going to get you to read a lot of books. Mm. And you're going to read a ton of books that were written for the last thousand years in world literature yeah. and world drama and world filmmaking. And I think that really is... Uh, I, I think that's priceless to give yourself that knowledge because I just don't see how you can actually move into the arts without having yeah. classical knowledge of those things, the great texts, the sacred texts. The How did that movies. make a difference to you? Because when you see all the movies from the last 100 years, for example, if you, you, know, if you look at world cinema more than 100 years, you actually get a sense of context of yourself and, and the fact that there were films made before you were born. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who are you know, in their teens and 20s that I speak to really think that movie, movie culture started when Star Wars was made. Yeah. <laughs> Good start. And and you know that there's a whole canon of films that were made for seventy years before Star Wars came along yeah. that you need to study because then you get then you get a sense of the continuum 
mm. of film or art well, acti- I, I've even watched some videos about that and how just acting and what is considered a, like a mm. great actor has just completely transformed mm. from like back in the day where it was like you know you need to be this kind of like I don't know this what what it meant to be a man in film and now everything's just like really um just like how can we make this the most realistic thing possible mm. paradigm shift yeah. yeah and that paradigm shift is what uh, give it, you know learning and reading and seeing all the stuff that's happened before gives you a wake up because you suddenly you suddenly see things repeating like you see a great movie from the 20s like metropolis for example great oh, science amazing. fiction film and you, then you compare it with, say, Star Wars, and you say, well, it, Star Wars isn't that original now because mm. you've seen it in the context of stuff that happened beforehand. Um, Star Wars is perhaps not the best pairing of that film. But Metropolis was made, um, you know, like the year my nana was born, 1926, I reckon. And it's Fritz Lang's great work. And it could have been made yesterday. When you look at it, mm. you think, my God, the themes... You know, the undercurrent, the subtext, the subversions that are all happening in that film. Did you love the mise-en-scene? Oh, yeah, mise-en-scene and the oh, montage. Yeah, how beautiful. Yeah. So two things, mise-en-scene and montage is something mm. that I learned through studying film. So studying, not making film, mm. studying. Big difference. And I would always say that if you're going to study in the arts, you should study, read a lot. That, that, that means you're not out making. It means you're reading. Yeah. So mise-en-scene and montage, two French concepts which actually describe the entire way that films are put together they're edited that well, sets the scene just everything involved and mise-en-scene is the literally the arrangement in the frame and so you look at the French cinema of the 30s and 40s and 50s and you can see that that concept's being mm. you know, consciously used and Americans are sort of seeing that American filmmakers are seeing that employing those techniques in their own movies so what does that look like for someone that has no idea what you're talking about right now okay so <laughs> you can test that so you can give someone a mobile phone camera yeah. and you can put uh, you know a vase or a flower in the middle of a room and you say to that person shoot that that flower um, shoot that flower the way you think it should be shot and if you do that with ten people they will all shoot that flower mm-hmm. in different ways they all have different spatial arrangement ideas in their head yeah. some, some people will shoot it from a distance some people will go up close and shoot it really tight, mm-hmm. some people will shoot it with a macro lens and it all depends on who they are as to how they shoot it some people yeah. want closeness and intimacy in filmmaking mm. and art, they're the ones that are going to shoot it up close. Um, so there's your mise-en-scene. And then montage, if you said to 10 people, okay, here's two shots, shoot them and then edit them, um, shoot the flower, then shoot uh, a, a dog with a frothing mouth and then edit it together, uh, they're all going to do it differently because yeah. they all have a different sense of what editing and arrangement in a frame is. Um, it's all going to relate to how they see the world. In terms of education, you mentioned... Um like for example Flinders and how the importance of reading books and like understanding the history and especially the classical history yeah. how do you feel like in modern it seems like a lot of like from an objective point of view from yeah. a modern point of view it seems like a lot of like it's like art's being politicised to the point where it's like lost that classical point of view yeah. how do we um, what's the best advice to people out there who are in the arts and they feel confused like they're being pushed to a certain direction but they want to stay centred they want to like keep on the process of just pure learning, not yeah. not be pushed into this political battle. That so a certain thing that happened in the late 60s and early 70s in academia is the invention or the study of postmodernism, mm-hmm. and then consequent to that, post-structuralism. And what happened was those two uh, theories of, of um, learning kind of inveigled their way into the practical side of art, 
um, because suddenly, uh, you know, f films were seen through a prism of race, gender, and class, and so that was a that was actually a mirroring of what was happening in society in the freedom rights, the rights movements, and women's live in America, and the anti-war uh, movement as well. That all conspired to actually come about with postmodernism. Postmodernism really is a French train of thought. It, people like Lacan and um, uh, Derrida, you know, these these Bob. types of these thinkers, uh, Foucault, mm. and they were very bookish and very learned, very articulate, and a lot of the stuff they were saying was actually well made. The mm. points yeah. were well put. Um, but the, when that happened in film, I think you know you had some great stuff come about. But the the downside is that films can become too weighed down with theory, yeah. uh, academic theory, and um, isms. Yeah, like sets a lane as opposed to just being complete free expression. That's right, because mm. the filmmaker seems to be uh, trying to fit themselves into a kind of a. Um, a, a template which can yeah. be a, which can yeah. be like applied. You turn an ocean into a river. Yeah. So well, how do you yeah. think like internet and social media and stuff has had an effect on just that idea in terms of like having people yeah. go in a lane? Yeah. Do you think like social media has kind of assisted in keeping people in lanes instead of expanding the great oceans that they should be then picking their lane after? Or do you think people are just being stuck in lanes and they then like in the old days you just you had to read? I think films and art. Mm -hmm. Are made of ideas, mm -hmm. and the fact that some people get their ideas off the internet, um, whereas in a previous era some people got their ideas from walking to the shop. Um, I, I don't think it's. I, I, I just think it's ideas, and how mm -hmm. you get them is up to you. Yeah. But I would say that walking to the shop, you're still going to run into someone who's interesting. You might have a conversation with a homeless person. You might speak to your local politician. Mm. You might see someone who you're related to. You might see an enemy, a friend. Uh, sitting on the internet, you don't get that cold face experience. Like human experience. Uh, human experience. So I'd say that both are valid. Yeah. But uh, you know, I I don't spend a lot of time inside. Yeah. Mm. So you take that well balance. You need a balance of the two in a sense. You do. You need. Yeah. yeah. You, you can get your ideas from anywhere, and you know, I've had ideas from reading about things on the internet, and subscribing mm -hmm. to you know the usual things. But um, I don't think I uh, you, you can replace that with actual you know going out, yeah. especially if you're a photographer. So you know going into what I do, um, you're not going to take great photos on the couch, you're not going to take photos mm. inside. The internet helps with the proliferation of images, so I'm, you know, I'm part of that, I'm grateful for that ability to share. actually show and share yeah. and to be inspired by other people's work, but I don't spend a lot of time inside at all. Yeah, so it's yeah. really about being out there. Yeah. So what, what do you think a photographer's role in terms of hu like humanity it plays, like in terms of that being out there? Like, if in a sense, without photographers, you don't, people don't get to see what's really happening. Like, you have a photo, you can capture, like, a yeah. war or yeah. or a crisis, or a, you can get all that in a photogra in photography biography. Yeah. Do you think photographers play a really important role in terms of how humans move forward and, and the way we evolve ourselves? Yeah, so there are noble traditions of mm. photography in terms of correspondence and, mm. and wars. Uh, in portraiture, mm -hmm. in terms of some of the early daguerreotypes of, you know, we see the early photography of basically portrait photography and beautiful mm -hmm. using large format daguerreotype. Um, we then see in the 20th century photography moving into the art form realm. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that is the realm I inhabit. So I don't do commissioned work, I don't do commercial photography work. I just use it as a tool to create art. So it's the tool that I'm comfortable with. 
in in the way that some people have a paintbrush so comfortable with that yeah. other people um, sing play an instrument it's the it's the tool of um, my expression so for your expression do you have like a is your expression like do you have like a almost like a divine like this is me this is how I express myself or are you always in a almost like a chaotic trying this out try this out kind of expression there's a bit of chaotic trying things out all the time that's part of um, the testing of the format so I'm always pushing and breaking and trying to sort of um, see how far I can push the format but I think in terms of your first question expression it's really about aesthetics and how you see the world and when you are using your tool to find out what it is about the world that interests you that's when you feel like you're being an artist because it's interesting it's like you're researching the world around you and you're, you're finding a way to you know to get into someone's head or to i'm loving this and we're going to yeah. go to a break yeah. to our ad sponsors because they wouldn't if they didn't support us we There'd wouldn't be, be here we're a community radio station Indeed. so we're going to take a pause from what it means to be an artist and what the perspective you have of the world and the format you use makes a difference which i'm loving this <laughs> this is great that's true and the thing that i worry about though when people talk about education that you know politicians talk about the stem subjects science mm. and those subjects which are funded now by government in, in, a, in a more serious way because of the fact that there's this sort of algorithm that says that if you study x y and z you're probably going to get a job at the end of it mm. and so right so right from the time that a child is 13 they're starting to sort of be streamlined into doing a degree which will give them a job. Mm. Yes. And certified. Certified. <laughs> yeah, so they want them mm. on the grind, they want them on the mill, you know, as soon as possible so that they can start paying taxes so that governments yeah. can make revenue. So nowhere in that equation, Facts. no one actually talks <laughs> about arts degree. In fact, arts degrees have now become doubly expensive or hugely expensive yeah, because uh, some politicians said, you know, you don't get a job out of it. Yeah. And, you know, I just... I've, I've been hearing that for a long time. It's not anything new. That's been going around for years. Mm. And it's sort of, um, it's scary because it actually reduces young people into sort of commodities like yeah. worker mm. bees, Monsters. which we know we can get them out into yeah. the workforce. And we know that we can raise revenue from taxes mm. once they start earning. Now, I just, think, I just think if you're in any way artistically inclined from a young age, forget about all that mm. and start thinking about learning and reading and reading the great stuff, the classical stuff, reading, watching movies, forget all that politician speech, because if you're passionate and if you're right into what you do and if you do an arts degree and you love it and, and you make friends and you, you know, forge a community of people around you, you're going to find economic um, reward at the end of that trajectory. So I just think, you know, don't be put off by um, these sort of snarky politicians who, uh, you know, who... Uh, have done a sort of social engineering degree mm. and, and think they have all the answers. And, and the fact that the STEM subjects are so vaunted now, um, do, not, do not think that that's a downgrading of the Bachelor of Arts degree. It isn't. It's actually the opposite. That's fascinating you say. On a, on a personal level, to share with you guys, um, like, yeah, I went through that whole, what you just talked about, like, yeah. you have to do a science, you have to do a science. <laughs> and growing up, I always loved art. Like, it was, like, yeah. my passion. It was something I was really good at. Yeah. But uh, in year 10, I, in science, I just stopped doing art. Yeah. This is what I was told, no, like, yeah. there's no future in art, what are you doing? Yep. Stick to science, get a mining job. Yeah. That's it. But now, coming back all around the loop, yep. it's now the arts that's giving me work. It's yeah. now the arts that's giving me a job. Isn't and that freedom interesting? Of being myself yeah. and the science. I still respect science, don't get me wrong, I love science. Oh, yeah. But it hasn't given me 
the opportunity to have business economically, mm. to meet friends, to give other friends opportunities, to give yeah. other artists opportunities, to, to collaborate. And it, entrepreneurship yeah. comes and it, basically from art. Right. And it doesn't mean that because you're shutting yourself away from sciences that you can't be involved in sciences. For example, mm. one of the most fascinating towns that I you know, have been back to a few times this year is Woomera, which is a really science-based mm. ghost town. Where's Woomera? Woomera. It's Woomera's up at uh, near Roxby Downs. It's, it's, a, it's, the, it's the old uh, UK-Australian rocket mm. range, mm. which during the 1560s was a 6,000 people in one town moved there from England to work mm. on weapons and rockets and... Yeah. Uh, you know, secret things. Yeah, that's uh, wild. And then, and then it, it all died in the 70s and the Americans moved in and uh, put the Narunga yeah. spy mm. base yeah. nearby. Yeah. And just yesterday there was a plane that left Woomera to do some surveilling around the Coorong, I heard on the radio. But I, I'm fascinated by all that science. Mm. And being an artist, I want to go into places like that and explore mm. and look at the, you know, the, the ghost town feel, which it really is. I mean, Woomera, if you go there, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's like another world. It's like a, you know, it's like a movie. It's like a game, Fallout. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I love Fallout. Yeah. If you love Fallout, I love I, I, Fallout. I'm a Fallout fan. Yeah, I've Fallout, played them all. I hate the last one, but I love the... Uh, the yeah, the last one. Yeah. The last one was <laughs> awful. But if you love Fallout, go and visit Woomera and you'll live the Fallout dream. And right in the middle of town, <laughs> rockets, rocket models that are in the middle of the town there, which look like they're straight out of Fallout. I had yeah. no idea that we had like a rocket town. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's crazy. You know Stuart's grandpa? Yeah, yeah. Stuart's grandpa was the head of this. He designed, he actually started this. That's so cool. He, he died, he passed away five years ago, he's 90. He was part of the Australian government. Yeah. Went to Saints. It's all secret. They, if you ask shit. them, they won't say, I think, because yeah, it's all classified. Yeah. It's all classified. With mm-hmm. Still. About, but still, like... Yeah. I thought after like 50, isn't it after 15 years things come unclassified? No, these are military secrets. So yeah, like still classified. My, <laughs> my, my, my aunt's husband worked at WRE, Weapons Research at Salisbury, and they would do field trips to Woomera uh, in the early 70s working on secret stuff and mm. he, he would never talk, we knew he worked there and he, he talked about working there but he would never yeah. mm. reveal what it was because it's really secret and it still is and Narunga which is a, a apparently a deserted uh, listening post uh, no it's not It's there are people get, going in and out there the whole time Naraka yeah. where's that that's where the nuclear testing was done as well like they, yeah. just, they did a lot of stuff there stuff a lot of the Aboriginal community quite well, heavily well that was Maralinga which is way farther north the yeah. nuclear bombs that were they tested were off, yeah. they Maralinga. were tested at Maralinga but Woomera was more space oriented yeah the cool. they said the first Australian satellite was sent from Woomera yeah. and that was done by Peter Twist which is yeah oh, there you go so they basically America left all these rockets in Australia and Peter was like, hey, yeah. let me use these rockets and send us something yeah. out. So yeah. what crazy yeah, things have you seen going out to these like really remote areas that like most people yeah. don't ever go to? So I'm going out north of Port Augusta. I'm fascinated by ghost towns and mm. you know what I would call what was. As a series yeah. of photographs, you could call it what was or what used to be or you know the past. So, I mean, you look at something like Woomera and you see science. Mm. You know, you're making artistic work out of science so the rocket range and the residue of 7,000 people who live there and there's only 700 now you know and there's a school and there's a pool and it doesn't get used but then if you go further north and west you can get to Tarkula which is an actual ghost town so Ooh, Tarkula yes. was a gold mining town which was suddenly deserted in the 70s and 80s because the gold ran out so there's no one there and it, this would have been a town with at least a thousand people wow. and it's on the train line it's on the transcontinental the freight train goes through all the time but it's an actual ghost town and it really is and it's one of the only ghost town in South Australia 
Wow. Yeah, so what, what's, what, what do you do? What inspired your motivation to go into these ghost towns? Like, what was well, that really Well, I was you? shooting images for the book, the landscape book, which is coming up in a, in a week or so. It'll be here in Adelaide. That I had a deadline of, I don't know, I think it was August or September, and the publisher said, you've got to have everything into us if you want it in the book. My designer was keen to you know, get more stuff, so I was up north every couple of weekends shooting material, which I thought you know, would end up in the book. Some did, some didn't. Um, so that was the real. That was a that was a compelling reason to be up north of Port Augusta because you know mm. deadline. Mm. So you know, yes, as an artist, you do have deadlines, um, and the, the plan was that we wanted to have the book out on on, on the shelves before Christmas, which is still going to happen. But you know, going north, you get your pretty hills, you get the Flinders Ranges, you get that classical South Australian, almost painterly landscape. But then, if you sort of go more west. You see a different side of South Australia, which is the along the railway line. So Tarkula is a, an example of that. Kingunia, which is before you get to Tarkula, you go mm-hmm. through Kingunia, and Kingunia does have a pub, um, <laughs> and a, it has a you know backpacker, it has a caravan park, uh, and that's usually the end of the road. But if you keep going and get to Tarkula, you you know you're seeing a proper ghost town. Mm-hmm. And I think photographically, ghost towns are amazing because what you're recording is what was, mm-hmm. what is. You're seeing two different timelines in one image because mm. you're photographing, you know, just dis- almost destroyed human uh, infrastructure. So could you describe yeah. one of the images that you got from there that's in this series to us? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the shot that I love is the one in the main drag of Tarkula. So it's got the pub on the left, which is an, a sort of a red colour. You know, in the bush you see a lot of bright painting going on. You know, buildings get either bright red or sort of turquoise or green, pub in Tuckle is really red and broken down, and it looks like the opening of um, the Clint Eastwood film High Plains Drifter, mm. wow. which is not set in a ghost town, but it, the opening sort of scenarios are around a town that's on its last Wide open left, space. Wide open space, yeah. and a train line, um, and nothing else. Mm. So humans were once there, now they're not, and that the differential is what's worth photographing. Um, just taking a little bit of a recap. Yeah. So when you were explaining um, going through German Expressionism, following on to the French yeah. New Wave yeah. and having that postmodernism, um, in regards to the relationship that classical Hollywood narration yeah. intertwining that with global film, mm. obviously there's rules and there was, you yeah. know, uh, uh, the authorship. Well, there was genre, which mm. Americans were big on. Yes. So, you know, pitching films to studios, they wanted to know what was yeah. it. Was it a film noir? Was it a room exactly, a yeah. comedy? Was it yeah. a Christmas film? Was it a, mm. you know, uh, a Western? Was yeah. it a romantic comedy? So you had to pitch it. But world cinema tended to blur the lines yeah. between genres and subvert. Definitely, subvert yeah. Subvert those genres uh, in a kind of underhand and brilliant mm. way. Yeah. And Americans did that too, but Hollywood was pretty rigid with yeah. its uh, demand that, you know, you... You've probably seen the film Barton Fink, the Khan Brothers yeah, movie, and the, yeah. the studio executive. So you do like Caligari, the beginning of German Expressionism? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the there's the um, Dr. Caligari, as in uh, the yeah, the cabinet cabinet yeah. of Dr. Caligari, and the, the Dr. Mabusa, yeah. Thousand Eyes. Yeah, um, these are all these were all heavily talked about at uni. Mm, definitely. Um, 
and no, they still they, are. They yeah. How do you know yeah. about this data? Um, well, I'm studying film, so right. I'm a student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Caligari is great stuff. That's it's even more yeah. out there than um, the Fritz Lang stuff. Yeah. And the Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabusa is really crazy. Mm. Oh, it's amazing. Like I just, I love, I love. I love all of it. Just the fact that you can't yeah. even hear it, but you just the paintings and the st- yeah. oh, it's amazing. But yeah. just quickly jumping to my question for a second, mm. with so obviously back with World War Two and yeah. how they stopped everyone seeing American films. Yes. You know, as soon as they could get their hands on them, you know, yeah. with the transportation of trains and whatnot. That's right. yeah. So with with film becoming with artists having their own authorship over this yep. with photography, how did that shape photography? Like, what was the main pillars of the um, the new oh this is what we should start following this is what sh- we should start doing with the balance of like balancing global and the classic. So a newfound freedom mm. with um, photography and all art forms. Yeah. Mid century, mm. um, using film as perhaps the beacon for showing the way. Yeah. So I think. Um, Really, the French had a, w- a word which was la camera stylo, which mm. is like the the camera as a pen. So the camera as an author, yeah. which led to auteur. Mm. So auteur theory was invented by the French, yes. and they applied it to American filmmakers. But I think other artists became authors too. And yeah. you know, the, the photographers of that time were using, uh, you know, the, being a director, I guess, of, yeah. and not doing classical commercial work. Mm. I mean, there are interesting things, though, because Andy Warhol was a photographer as well. Yes. And he did a whole lot of work before he became a famous artist. He was doing a whole lot of, like... He did a lot of celebrities, like Marilyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he he photographed everything Mm. and then sort of fused it all together and became... Know, the and that's when that it started know. getting chunky, you know, like new genres were coming, like real Tim burton was getting, you know, that's when the dark started coming up a little bit more. Well, yeah, before Burton, you've got to go to Lynch, mm. really, is the great, well, yeah, well, the greatest his auteur. Poetic. The yeah. greatest auteur, American auteur would have to be David Lynch. Mm. And then really before him, there are people like Cassavetes, um, there are people like even John Waters, yeah. you know, who is often cited as being the godfather of David Lynch. Mm. Um, and you can sort of go further back and back you know, Nicholas Ray. You can keep going. <laughs> uh, these were all people who weren't really obeying the studio, but were yeah. doing a smart thing, which was to make films for studios. Back to the ideas. But then they were actually using their own subversiveness to mm. create a better work. Yeah. Uh, so with with the French New Wave, and you know, they started breaking down the, like, you know, breaking wall. down the third wall, mm. the fourth wall, all this sort of stuff. So with photography, what kind of, what kind of things started to break? Like, what were the, like, what was the boundaries, you know, in terms of when when did things start getting scandalous, or when did when did photography start coming out of the box? Well, that quickly, like, is there like in terms of that what you just spoke about? Like, yeah. Is there like a Mozart figure or some sort of figure in photography film that was like that really radical that created this whole thing? Like, is there a one figure that you're like, oh, that's the guy, or that's the girl? That there are many, but I'd have to say that people like Diane Arbus, Vivian Meyer, mm. and I guess Annie Leibovitz eventually mm. were real trends. And Agnes Varda by far. Yeah, was it? Agnes Varda. Yes, yeah, exactly. Mm. These people were sort of like the people that really laid down the law in terms mm. of creating photography uh, as really an art form. Max, mm. Max um, Ford, Maddox Ford. Yeah. Um, you know, in Australia, it was mm. people like Tracy Moffat and Bill Henson. Yep. Who really were um, leading lights. Yeah. Um, you know, Anton Kjorben. You know, the idea that you can make an image grainy and grungy yeah. to give a sort of a a different feel to the the clean the clean lines that were expected 
you know, yep. of professional photography, um, the using of strange and weird techniques that, mm. you know, that film actually allows you to do because it's a Definitely. physical format. You can actually do things to film to, you know, create a, a, a artistic statements in itself. Mm. And it's harder with digital. I guess you can do that in Photoshop sense. Yes, you can yes. It's effects. all about the editing as yeah, opposed yeah. to the actual photo capture. Obviously, that's still important. Like yeah, it's photo capture. The first yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always there was a saying, you know, you can't get, you know, you can't get jam from shit. Yeah. <laughs> the image yeah. is terrible and it lacks emotion and it's kind of flat and boring and sterile. It's never going to be anything but that. So what's been the timeline of your, of your works? Like you're at books now. You do like full long books, yep. and you got a new one coming out. That's what, like three hundred pages? Two sixteen. Two sixteen so pages. Yeah, so that's a, a huge book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of photos yeah. to, of like a yeah. grade level. Like uh, uh, yes, and the landscape book, which is coming up, has been really done over ten years. Whereas the previous two books were done over a short period of time. Adelaide Noir, which is the hardcover, the first book, which is really industrial photography at night. Mm. That was the first book. So I was out at night doing long exposures and, you know, um, seeing the west and the, the industrial side of Adelaide at night and finding real beauty in that kind of ordinary ordinary kind of image. Uh, the second book was portraits. So that was... I went through a phase of wanting to shoot people who were in the world that I was inhabiting rather than just shooting the backdrops, rather than shooting the industrial side. I wanted to shoot people who lived... What was that like? Great. Yeah, what so it's a lot of, of walking around and just asking people, "Can I take a photograph?" Mm. Oh, really? And that's hard at first yeah. because you, you know you need com- you, mm. well, you need to you know the ability to sort of um, get a knockback, and you know some people just don't want to be photographed, and that's the end of that. But a lot of people do allow you to photograph them. What kind of conversations did you have? <clears throat> like, what was there some conversations it that really always, stand out? Always locational. So I'd say to someone, you know, do you live around here? And they would explain yes. And let's say I'm shooting the IO factory, which is the glass factory on Port Road, and I'm around that area. I want to meet people who work there. A lot of people work there. And so you meet people and you say, you work at the factory? They say yes, and they'll explain how long they've worked there for, and they'll tell stories and anecdotes which relate to their world. What that does is gives them power, Mm. and it ennobles their lives. And, you know, one of the things that I do in my art is to actually, I'm more interested in that than celebrities and Mm. famous people or rich people. I'm interested in the working class because they are the people that built the nation. Mm. What's amazing to say is like legit you it's just listening to someone's story gives them like an power. Yeah, it allows them to like feel like they are like something in this universe, something more significant than just like what they're doing. Traditionally they're ignored in art. Mm. So especially in Australia art tends to really be about Famous people, celebrities, rags to riches yeah. stories. That statue, it was like the first like boy done by the playing by the river mm. or something like that. And like, that had never been done before because yeah. everything was about like the kings, yeah. the queens, kings and all and, queens. Yeah. and the gods. And, yeah. yeah, and because we are a, a sort of a Commonwealth country, we tend to carry over that that love of royalty and and wealth and sportsmen and women and um, celebrity. I'm just not interested in any of that mm-hmm. at all. So, so you're really looking to yeah. empower the people of Adelaide? In well, I, I'm, interested in, well I'm interested in giving voice to anything, really. Yeah. But mm. it just happens that the trajectory has gone from an industrial photography to a portraiture yeah. and now to a landscape. And among all the, uh, across those three phases... I'm interested in the average ordinary people who inhabit those worlds. That's what's interesting for me because actually I find that the aesthetic, the arts aesthetic, the arts knowledge 
is really strong yeah. among that among that world. I mean, I you know you go to the Marion markets. I used to go every month because uh, it was a monthly thing, and you'd see people selling their wares, yeah. selling their their little designs, their paintings, little photographs, t- um, tattoos, and it was full of art. Yeah. And where does that come from? Movies. Yeah. Because what you find is that people who are working people who work in factories mm. watch a lot of movies across yeah. time, mm. and they're they've got a very very finely honed aesthetic yeah. that comes out of popular culture, yeah. films, and music. Well, focusing on the working class and stuff like, for example, that your technology, you're mm. jumping from all different types of cameras here. Yeah. Like that one looks like Bicycle Thieves was filmed on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they all, all that have different places in, yeah. in my universe and different. I mean, I'm going to use this for landscapes because mm. it's got such a huge capture size and it's more like a cinema screen, so yeah. it's six by nine, which is yeah. not not far off film. Mm. But, you know, a, a movie. Mm. This is square, which is not like a movie, but great for portraits. Yes. And great for anything with height because a square is a big, a square is a third bigger than a rectangle yeah. at the same width. Yeah. Definitely, just like that way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, for those who um, are maybe first starting, mm. who are first starting out with photography, or yeah. they're not really too confident with working the camera, what's your best lighting advice? Yeah, well, lighting is is key to photography, as is composition and. Um, all the tropes that mm. you know we find in filmmaking are, are key to photography, but with lighting, I would, I would. Here's here's a bit of advice, and I'm amazed at how many people don't take this advice when I tell them. Mm. This is a really simple rule: take photos before seven o'clock in the morning or after seven o'clock in the evening, and don't yeah. take any photos during the middle of the day. Yeah. And you'll be amazed at how your images look better because the light is better, yes. and the light is coming in from a, from a, the side which yeah. gives shape and contour to anything. The drop shadow gives you depth. If you shoot in the middle of the day, and too many people do this, I'm amazed, they shoot in the middle of the day <laughs> in the harshest light in the world, which is South Australia. Yeah. You know, it's the clearest and most difficult light. If you shoot in the middle of the day, you just will not get the lighting that, that you see in great films. Do you yeah. think the lighting situation now like contributes to uh, tourism issues as well? Because <laughs> it turns out like if you want to capture this South Australia and you're constantly yeah. shooting in the middle of the day, yeah, true. How are you going to capture those images that tell the story of how beautiful this place is? Yeah, see, and that that worries me. You know, the t- the people who are in charge of tourism do do tend to shoot the wrong times of day and they mm. shoot the same old boring shots. That. The other thing is going back. To, you know, if studying at uni, so I read a lot of um, you know noir fiction, mm. which is. Uh, equivalent to film noir mm. which is a, a very noble genre uh, the French knew about it film noir basically is all about lighting because the mood of those films are set by you know an inherently interesting set of lighting codes so in those films you'll see that a lot of shot, uh, shots at night a lot of shots at evening and in, early in the morning there you go it's all been all been done it's before been done. just just do your shots in the morning and do them in the evening and you'll be amazed in terms of how you shoot do you because I'm just noticing the way you have your setup. Do you have? Are you freehand at all times? Are you are you with your hands or do you have tripods? Do you what are you? Definitely doing? tripods for long yeah. exposures at night. So, you know, camera on sticks, um, five minute exposures, ten minute, half an hour even sometimes, three hours if you're doing a you know stars. You've done a three hour yeah. long exposure. If you want to get stars moving, you're going to be three do to five you, seven. Do you hours. double much of the wow. stars systems and not take photos of them as well? Or I haven't done a lot of astral or you know sky photography, but you know, I've done. A, I've done. There's one image in the landscape book, which is stars, uh, in a Mali landscape. So, um, 
that's it's also very much a digital realm to yeah. do that kind of stuff and I, I don't shoot digital harder to do it with film um so what was the question about shooting oh I said, oh, what was your best light advice? Best light advice yeah. and then like Yeah, so, but the mostly, mostly I'm shooting uh, what we call handheld. Yeah. So handheld in low light yeah. is hard and takes a lot of practice because, you know, you're going to be using shutter speeds, which are a 30th of a second, 15th of a second, which are a bit long and can lead to blur. But if you've got, you know, a, a, a good technique and if you breathe properly, you can, you can do a shot that's that, that length. Uh, you know, especially street stuff, you're shooting in the shadows anyway because you're shooting in, on the streets mm. in the evening, in the morning, and it's dark. So you have to have a you know pretty steady hand. But you're also you can use fastest film, so the film ISO rating can be pushed to 800, 1600, 3200, which gives you a couple of extra stops of shutter speed. Yeah. What do you like to stick with the ICL? Like what, what level? Do well, you I shoot Kodak Tri-X, which is 400 ASA. Kodak Tri-X is really the world's most famous film. It's been around since the 50s and has a distinctive look. I shoot a lot of I shoot rolls of the stuff. I love it. Um, it's 400 speed, which means it's kind of, uh, you can go anywhere with it. You can shoot, you know, bright conditions. You can shoot in, in, in dull dusk, early morning and evening conditions with tri- Kodak Tri-X. It's beautiful. It's silvery. It's just great. I mean, it's um, Ilford is the other, you know, the equivalent of Tri-X is called Ilford HP5, which I sometimes use. It's got a kind of gentler look. It's not as gritty, but mm. Kodak Tri-X for street work is just uh, unsurpassed. So in terms of for you, like obviously you like to shoot on your film. Mm. Where is what is what is digital for you? Turns like, what does it sit in your life? How does well, it's important because once I've shot the film and processed it, developed it at home, I have to get it onto a digital platform. So I'm yeah. scanning it at high res to a, a file, which can then be you know uploaded to a book or um, you know to Instagram. There's there's got to be a digital interface at some point. If it's not, you have to print it optically and you get a print. Yeah. But I I want stuff digitized. Yeah. You know, and I've got a really good scanner, which you know gives pretty good renditions of my film negatives and positives. Yeah. Um, so I'm uploading all my stuff onto hard drive. And how do you feel about this whole mirrorless uh, revolution we're seeing through the car industry? This is mirrorless. Yep. That's mirrorless. Um, that's mirrorless. That's got a mirror. So I've got three mirrorless cameras. And mirrorless cameras are really great because, you know, obviously there's not the, the crunch of the mirror banging up on the ceiling. Wait, I had no idea there was old school mirrorless cameras. Yeah, so this is a range finder camera, which means when you look through the viewfinder, you're seeing an approximation of what the lens is seeing. It's not exactly the same as what the lens is seeing. It's okay. It's sort of an approximation. But there's no mirror involved in this camera. I mean, there's mm. just a leaf shutter. Um, so you're not, you don't, I mean, uh, SLRs is what mirrors are. This is an SLR here. So, you know, you'll, you'll see the mirror. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're being a little lost in this conversation at all, just know that everything that is being said is the practice and the profession of taking extraordinary photos. And I don't just say this about anybody. These photos are some of the most aesthetically pleasing photos I have ever seen. So please go check it out. Alex Frayne, he's got a new book coming. Get his old books. Or what's your website again? We'll just go to Instagram, alex.frayne, that's F-R-A-Y, N-F-N-L-E-E, or I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, that Instagram's, a, I've found it to be quite a good um, platform for yeah. photography. There's a mirror going up and down. Yeah. See it. And so that makes a bit of a crunch, which some people think affects the quality of the images. Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, what, in your opinion, is the top, like, if there was a 
pedestal of art in Australia? Yeah. What, who do you think is currently taking the place? Or maybe legacy and historically, who is who would be the, the number one? You would have to say still, I mean, on paper anyway, let alone metaphorically or spiritually, Adelaide is number one. Yeah. Because look at February, March, April, and you have more going on here than anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have the, the Fringe, the Festival... And then all through the year there are festivals, and the next year we've got this new one, Illuminate, which is kind of like a winter fest, mm. uh, which is going to be exciting. There's WOMAD, then you know, there's everything, guitar festival. So you'd have to say we're still number one, but we can't be complacent. Mm. And that's where it's up to you guys who are going to come along and hold that position. Because Melbourne is constantly jealous in their sort of black beret skivvy uh, vibe yeah. about <laughs> us, and they really, they, they've got a chip on their shoulder and... You know, I think it's an insecurity, but, yeah, you know... Big city's got to we, their head. Yeah, well, they... I mean, they've tried hard to sort of come up and take that yeah. take that position from us, but they just can't. And But I think they, they're on the way to doing it. And, you know, and it was Brisbane's, Brisbane's pretty amazing. Sydney's always been a cultural hub. You know, I guess it, you know, we, need to, we need to keep working at being number one in the arts because we don't want to end up like Perth, yeah. which mm. kind of became obsessed with mining, which has been good for it, you know, and it's, it's a mining state and it's, you know, you, you've got your Gina. Yeah, yeah, you've got your Gina, but I'm glad we've got the arts, and yeah. um, you know I'd happily retain the arts uh, as opposed to Gina. So, where are your favourite places to go and experience art in Adelaide? Obviously, AGSA and the museum. So the art gallery, uh, that strip, that you know North Terrace, which really came about in Dilate Lozira. She really made that, mm. you know, that amazing. She's she's uh, you know often talked about as being one of the leading lights in terms of politicians who have done a lot for the arts, people yeah, always right. talk about Di Laidlaw because she remade North Adelaide. Um, and little galleries, you know, Fontenelle, um, you know, all the little places in the city. I mean, the art galleries are closing, unfortunately. I mean, Hillsmith is closed. Yeah. Stick, uh, retains, a, retains a presence there. Um, you know, I love the Mercury Cinema because, you know, all those mm. great movies that I, we were talking about, I mean, they were at the Mercury. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. in back in the day and I think they still are I think the Mercury still runs a pretty it's good it's still going yeah but it's not what it was Capri Theatre as well is still going Capri well. Capri was always volunteer run and that meant it Great survived place. it survived yeah. because it, it's place. got a you know it's resilient beautiful, beautiful art deco building yeah Back in the day, they used to have Cinematheque nights, so they'd have great movies, you know. Yeah. And the track used to have a midnight session of Clockwork Orange every Sunday for two what a, years. What a movie. For two years, <laughs> they had that midnight session, and I went to one of them. That's mm. shut. Last week, it shut oh, down. Okay. So that's, <laughs> oh, you know, these okay. are, these are sad. That's sad. That, that is terrible. Well, actually, in terms of that, what the French, like, what is going to happen? Like, what do you think? Well, it's on. They're saying it's done. Fringe is going to... Yeah, Fringe. Heather Heather Kroll is um, boss of the Fringe. She said it's happening, but it's just going to be different spatial Mm. arrangements. Um, And they'll still have the gardens. And the Fringe will be fine because it's in great hands. I mean, she's she's a warrior. She's kept it going, you know, uh, strength to strength, and it will continue to grow. And I don't know how long she'll be the um, boss, but under her tenure, it's just been fantastic. Uh, So the Fringe is great. It's secure. Um, March, you know, who, where, where else in the world would one ever want to be yeah. in March and well, April? Best city in the world. Yeah. I mean, mad I'm a bit March. sad about the car race, but I think, I mean, I think they do have options. They can yeah, go to the bend. Yeah. Um, mm. They did have a pretty good run of getting, uh, you know, several millions of dollars from government, mm. you know, handed to them to have their car race. I'm kind of glad it's gone. 
I yeah. have to say, because I just don't think it worked at that time. Yeah. With the Fringe and the car race and the festival, I know some people sort of thought it was a kind of interesting you know, clash of cultures, yeah. but I just think it was impractical. I think yeah. it was actually... Um, it was treading on itself. Yeah, there's no real balance between it. No. It was very ill-balanced. Mm. It was great in the mid-'80s. You know, the, the, the F1 well, the Grand Prix was amazing. That was, that was well, there's that went. talk about us having the Formula E. Yes, Formula E, you know, at a different time cool. of the year would be fine. I actually said I actually said to Stephen Marshall um, when he asked about what should go, I said that um, I think it should be a great big field day. Yeah for the rural side of Australia, South mm. Australia to come to Adelaide for two weeks and have all the like big rock fest. stars, country western yeah. music. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Uh, have, it a, have it a homage to the great farmers of all South folk Australia. Music. Folk music. And a radio. And a radio. Just totally <laughs> taking over the parkland. Yeah, the rural people who give so much to this stuff. I think cool. that's Fact. what should happen. That would be very cool, actually. Yeah. What a, a cultural, idea, like... Yeah. And it would fit yeah. in terms of like the vibe with the fringe yeah, because it would. it's just so culturally extreme yeah, would. Mm. but yeah and yeah, you know, they're, they're, the fringe and the country would and the fringe is part of the country anyway they go out and do there's a lot of fringe events mm. in the countryside but I mean I think I've been to great field days like Pascaville and Karunda which are huge events out in the out in the Mallee um, I think we should just have the world's biggest field day uh, for two, for a week or two weeks, cool. and the, the money that was spent on the car races can be spent I like that on idea. that. I don't think the country would agree with the mask, though. That's the only thing they're gonna come rocking in like, no, nah, don't wear any masks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they'll, they'll, well, I mean, they'll, there'll be a tr- there'll be tractors and animals It'll and horses. It would be too busy. It would be a great. You know, every element of the parkland. Where would the you north. Do it? Well, you could have all the rural north people in the north parklands. Yeah. All the west, like Air Peninsula, in the western parklands. Yeah. Mm. You could have the southeast. And the south in the South Parklands, and who's left? What's what? Where east, east? east. east. So yeah, okay. You'd have the Mallee, and you could have the Riverland all in the Mm. East Parklands. It would be great. I'm locking all those four parklands. Has never been done before, really, on that scale as well. No, because they're underused. Next proposal, boys. Yeah, they're underused. What a vibe! I love that. Okay, so before we wrap this up, is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with? I keep going back to the people who want advice about photography and I just say take photographs early in the morning and early in the evening and you'll see a marked improvement in your work and look at the light look at the the contouring of light that happens at those two times and just uh, appreciate that that that's one step in taking better photographs is to actually take them at the correct time Awesome. And Tatum, is there anything you'd like to share with us before we... Oh, that was brilliant. Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah, Alrighty. that was great. Yeah. Was Perfect. Yeah. George? I'd just like to acknowledge you, and it seems like you've done a lot for South Show. And, and to be honest, like, I hadn't known too much about it, but just hearing you right now, I can really see you've had a huge, not just like physical impact, but a spiritual impact mm. on art and the South Show forever. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to expressing and looking at your art a lot more and, cool. and collaborating on some sort of level and seeing how we can utilise the platform and our yep. platforms together and... Yeah. Even just the talk of a real fest, that really got me going. Yeah, like, yeah that's so really good. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, why not? Like, for it. I think the politicians will... Sleepless Night really and the Folk folk Festival. Who yeah, would open it? Because the, like, the Casey com- Chambers opening. Because the country people, like one thing we learned on our walk to Mount Gambia is that the country people are so awesome. Like, they're just they they're awesome. so ready to go. Yeah, well, they they've built the state. Mm. I mean, the state is yeah. basically a rural state with a bit of mining mm. and mm. formerly car industry. But really the backbone is, you know, sheep wheat. Yeah, Renmark, uh, the Riverland. Yeah, um, that's the truth of it all. And I guess in the art arts, you have to sort of understand. You know, it's all about what is and the truth. 
yeah. behind something. And so I think the, the truth of this state is that it's a it's a rust belt and wheat belt and working class state. Exactly. And you know what? In terms of that, like that could be the one key thing we're missing is like the city and country have been so separated for so long now, decades it feel like they're just completely other people. Which is bizarre which and it, you know, there are reasons why that's happened electorally, which we mm. won't go into, but you know, there are gerrymanders that happen. But um, there's no reason logically why South Australia shouldn't really be considered to be a sort of semi-rural manufacturing, formally manufacturing, semi-rural, arts-oriented, uh, hot, mm. very expansive, dry, drought-prone mm. state. Yes, yes. So these are the elements you have to work with. Let's Beautiful. And happen. where can people find mm. the book to actually... Yeah. see this well you can go into the Wakefield Press who are publishing and that's on six, it's 16 Rose, Rose Street Mile End not far from here mm-hmm. or just go to your local bookstore um, I mean there aren't many bookstores left in South Australia but there are a few and there are good ones out in the country actually there's some great ones one at Port Elliot um, South Seas yeah, yeah. Um, Matilda's up at uh, Stirling and your book will be in these, All these bookshops yeah, okay, yeah great. absolutely around Christmas before Christmas so yeah grab the, grab the book grab two uh, you know, one for you, one for present. Phenomenal. Yep. Thank you so much for coming Pleasure. on. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate your time, attention. Great. Just like such a wealth of knowledge. Mm. So thank mm. you. Very refreshing. Yeah, that was awesome. It's been great. I mean, it's great to be around, you know, the young people who are the future of the state. Mm. Uh, mostly the interviews are with people either my, my, you know, vintage or older. So it's great to see what's going on in the younger crowd. Especially learning cinema. I mean, that's great. Oh, keep great. doing that. Oh, I love it. Yeah, keep reading. Um, read Australian literature. Read world literature. Read the classics and watch a lot of the, the great movies made before Star Wars. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, George loves Star Wars. I love yeah, I do too. I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. But you know, that that particular story was you know really is a Joseph Campbell uh, you know trope. The, yeah. the hero journey yeah. and all that yeah. which has been done for thousands of years so exactly it's all archetypal kind it's of all stuff. archetypal even, yeah. even like Harry Potter it's basically the same storyline as Star Wars it is it's archetypal yeah. it's you know yeah. I'm your father yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm all your that father. stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah that's been Daddy done before issues and powers. yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it goes back to Greek tragedy so that's yeah it's all Greek isn't it but it's a bit jaded to say oh there's nothing new under the sun because there is everything mm. every artwork's different and new mm. but um, it's worth acknowledging that you know Great traditions of storytelling and filmmaking and art, art making uh, have been going on for a long time, yes. and it, I think it behooves anyone to read all that stuff so that they can yeah. better place themselves in the great big wide world out there with their art form. And all for all those Greeks listening out there, I know how passionate you are of being, you know, the cradle of Western civilization, art. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first. I'm a Hellenophile, by the way. Yeah, Hellenophile. Yeah. Hellenophile. I'm, I'm not, but I, I am <laughs> a Hellenophile. Thanks for listening or watching to What's Your Voyage. Please leave us a review on whatever podcast service you're streaming us from. You know, interact with us on social media. And thank you very much for being on the voyage.